Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Williams wants to fade. Stoops in the end zone for a touchdown Oklahoma. Just when Oklahoma fans thought that they were done with the Cleveland Browns, the NFL draft strikes, and suddenly Sooners are in a little bit of a conundrum. Do you cheer for Cleveland without Baker, or do you cheer against Cleveland with Perry and Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, and Michael Woods? That, that's a decision that every Oklahoma fan is facing after this weekend's NFL draft. We'll get into that here in just a few minutes. Uh, the spring game was eight days ago. We've not recorded a podcast since then so but we've had a full week to really digest and think about some things and come up with some post spring game thoughts here's five things that we learned about the Oklahoma Sooners in the spring game but let's start with softball where the stage is set for Bedlam softball to determine the 2022 regular season Big 12 championship the Sooners did everything that they needed to do over the weekend by sweeping the Kansas Jayhawks. Oklahoma will host Oklahoma State in the Bedlam Softball Series. Both programs sitting at 14-1 and one in conference play. The Sooners um, are 45-1 and one on the season, winning seven in a row since losing that final game in the series against the Texas Longhorns. Oklahoma State travels out to Tallahassee, Florida, drops two games to the Florida State Seminoles. Very competitive, I might add. Um, to a top three program in the nation, the Florida State Seminoles, but Oklahoma State does in fact drop both of those games, uh, sitting at 38 and nine on the season. This this series starting on Friday uh, will be a fantastic way to end the season for the Oklahoma Sooners, and well. If you're an, I guess if you're an Oklahoma State Cowgirls fan as well, uh, just like last week, uh, last season, where the final weekend of the season in Stillwater determined the Big 12 championship, so will the final weekend in Norman this year between these two teams determine the Big 12 championship. Oklahoma just blasts its way past the Kansas Jayhawks, winning seven to nothing on Friday and then 19 to nothing on Saturday before uh, squeaking out a nine to one win. Uh, the Jayhawks finally inching a, a run across home plate in the final game of that series. Sooners take it nine to one on Sunday afternoon. And now we're, and I said Friday, but it's really Thursday when Bedlam starts. Uh, Thursday evening, eight o'clock for first pitch in that game, and then Friday, uh, Friday evening, six o'clock before the finale at four o'clock Saturday afternoon, and then that sets way for the Big 12 tournament, and that will adjust the seating for the Big 12 tournament. Who's going to take home that number one seed in the Big 12? The only options are. Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. Texas sitting at 10 and 5 
on the regular season uh, in the Big 12 after dropping back-to-back series to the Sooners and to the Cowgirls. The Longhorns, uh, they, they were able to take the series from Texas Tech over the weekend, but it's too little too late for Texas um, as as really, I mean, again, the, those those two series, the, 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 losing to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, really did Texas in. And, and, and I've said this, I, I've wondered this a lot. You know, Mike White was a guy that Texas spent a lot of money on, particularly in terms of coaching a, a, a softball program, which isn't one of your top tier, you know, at, at my, some schools it is. Oklahoma, it, it's a moneymaker. Texas, it's a moneymaker. Uh, you know, Oregon, it's a moneymaker. But when you compare Oregon softball to Oregon football, Oregon softball to Oregon basketball, and same thing with Oklahoma and Texas, it's not on that high level of a moneymaker. And they spent money to get Mike White to come down and try to compete with Oklahoma and end the Sooners' reign of dominance on the Big 12. And this is a, yet another season passes by where Mike White and the Texas Longhorns, not only do they not beat the Sooners in terms of winning a series, but they're not even in the running for the Big 12 championship as far as the regular season goes. Only three schools in the Big 12 are going to go into the tournament the final weekend uh, guaranteed to have uh, above 500 records. And and that's going to be Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas. It's not possible for Baylor. It's not possible for Texas Tech. It's not possible for Iowa State. And it's certainly not possible for Kansas, who sets just 2-13 two, two and 13 in the Big 12. So when you look at the number of teams that are going to make it into the NCAA tournament from the Big 12, I, I think you still can go all the way down to Baylor. I, I, Texas Tech... Iowa State may have a shot. Um, Texas Tech, I don't believe, has a shot. Kansas absolutely doesn't have a shot. If Iowa State can make a little bit of noise in Oklahoma City at the Big 12 tournament, they they might have a chance. But when you're looking at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas, you've got three potential regional hosts, and then you've got Oklahoma and Oklahoma State in line to maybe be super regional hosts once again like they were last year, which would put them one more time on a collision course to the to play each other face-off in the Women's College World Series. But Bedlam is going to have a lot to say with that. At 14-1, and one, neither team requires a sweep to take the Big 12 championship. All that is needed is for you – Oklahoma or for you, Oklahoma State, to win the Big 12, to win the Bedlam series, and then you take on uh, the Big 12 regular season championship. So, uh, big, uh, a lot of fun coming up. The big weekend for Oklahoma and Oklahoma State in softball beginning Thursday night. And I believe all those games will be televised in some capacity. Uh, I'm just not 100% sure yet what that is going to be, but. Stay tuned, and we'll let you know uh, when we post our our preview for that series. All right, let's jump over and let's start talking about football, the NFL draft, and some thoughts on Oklahoma's red and white game. Uh, this is the Sooner Nation podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
So seven guys from the University of Oklahoma went in the NFL draft. And then at the time of this recording, you've got four guys that um, signed undrafted free agent contracts as rookies, giving you 11 guys from this 2022, excuse me, 2021 team that go to the NFL in 2022. Um, Some of it was a little bit of a surprise. Some of it not. I, I took a little bit of heat. By saying Perrin Winfrey was not a first-round guy, even after the Senior Bowl, um, a lot of that is based off of just the the need for that position. But one of three guys that the Cleveland Browns picked up over the weekend through the draft, Perrin Winfrey going in the fourth round, the 108th overall selection. I think the guy that surprised me, Brian Asamoah being the second sooner coming off the board, going in the third round, number 66 overall to Minnesota. Of course, the first guy to come off the board in the second round really wasn't a surprise to anybody being Nick Bonito. I think we all had him uh, going in that second round. Uh, I love that he landed in Denver. Um, Probably, again, the only guy that I personally had on there, uh, Isaiah Thomas dropping all the way down to to the seventh round. Uh, again, a, a Cleveland guy, but seventh round, the 223rd overall pick. That's mind boggling to me. Not the biggest mind boggle, keep in mind, uh, in terms of the Sooners in the NFL draft. But uh, Isaiah Thomas going in the seventh round to Cleveland, I, I don't understand. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's not a situation like Perrin Winfrey where there's just not a great need at the moment for that, that position. There's always a need for guys who can contain the edge, who can, who can rush the passer. That's why Nick Benito goes in the second round uh, to Denver, and Denver really wanted Nick Benito. They were excited to get him there. I think Isaiah Thomas is, is the same type of impact guy, but could honestly maybe even give you more in the area of run support. And the fact that he went all the way into the seventh round really is is a I, I don't know I don't I don't understand why he dropped so far. Of course, Marquise Hayes, um, Marquise Hayes and Tyrese Robinson both were guys that were tweeners for me. I didn't know if they would get drafted, but if they did, I had them sixth or seventh round. Uh, kudos to Marquise Hayes going to go out there and be reunited uh, with his former quarterback and former receiver in Hollywood Brown and Kyler Murray playing for the Cardinals. Mike Woods, we're going to count him as a Sooner. He played one season here for the Arkansas transfer, played for the Sooners in 2021. Mike Woods rounds out the trio of guys who go to the Cleveland Browns. So uh, just to recap that in order, second round, Nick Bonito goes to the Denver Broncos. Third round, Brian Osamoa uh, to the Minnesota Vikings. Fourth round, Perrion Winfrey to Cleveland. Uh, fifth round, Delarian Turner-Yell to Denver. Sixth round, Mike Woods uh, to Cleveland. Seventh round, Isaiah Thomas to Cleveland. And Marquise Hayes in the seventh round to Arizona. I'm really curious, Oklahoma fans, how do you feel about the Cleveland Browns picking up three guys in this draft? Because on the heels of the Baker Mayfield weekend that we had uh, in Norman uh, eight days ago, it really kind of feels like the Sooner fans were excited to move on. You've seen on social media people burning their Cleveland Browns jersey. You've seen uh, or you heard a lot of um, hubbub in the stadium, how good it was for Baker Mayfield to be back in Norman where he's appreciated and loved as opposed to the toxic situation that's going on in Cleveland. And it's almost as if Oklahoma fans had just 
finished washing their hands of the Cleveland Browns, had a little bit of a sigh of relief thinking, okay, we can move on from this program that's a perennial loser. And now all of a sudden, you got three guys there that you, I mean, you got to watch him, right? I mean, no, no slide, no disrespect to Mike Woods, but if three guys like Mike Woods got drafted by Cleveland, I think Oklahoma fans would be okay with that because they're, they're just, uh, you, you're appreciative of Mike Woods. You, you, you're proud of the fact that he was a Sooner and he went into the NFL draft with the Sooner logo and all that stuff when his name was called on the selection. Um, but the reality is you didn't have a lot of investment in Mike Woods, right? You just didn't. You didn't have a lot of investment there. You had a lot of investment investment in Perry and Winfrey. You had a lot of investment in in Isaiah Thomas. You had a lot of, you know, those are guys that you're just really, really invested in. You watched them grow up. Isaiah being an oh, even an Oklahoma guy, but you watched them grow up in their collegiate careers. You can't turn your back to them now because they're with Cleveland, right? So I'm absolutely curious, how how are we as Sooner Nation, how are we going to approach the Cleveland Browns in 2022? Because it's it's kind of a, um, a catch-22, I guess, a situation, because you, you don't want Cleveland to succeed without Baker. But there's no way Baker is going to be the quarterback. And you don't want Deshaun Watson to do good because he's the guy who replaced Baker. But on the same note, you don't want Perry and Winfrey and, and Isaiah Thomas and Mike Woods, you don't want them to suffer through atrocious losing seasons. I don't know how we approach that. I really don't. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Hit us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Uh, drop a comment, heartland-sports.com. Uh, drop a comment on our website and let us know. How, how are you handling the Cleveland Browns as an Oklahoma fan going into this fall? All right, four guys sign uh, sign un- undrafted free agent deals. Kennedy Brooks with the Philadelphia Eagles. Jeremiah Hall with the New York Giants. I love that spot for Jeremiah Hall. I know that's a program uh, that has really suffered, uh, but I think they're maybe moving on the right track. You got some young talent in there. You got a new coach. Um, I-, I like Jeremiah Hall and what he can do with the Giants. Tyrese Robinson uh, with Washington and LaRon Stokes out at Arizona. I do think it's probably going to be difficult for LaRon Stokes uh, of that four. He's the guy that I'm just kind of thinking he, he, it's going to be difficult for him. Kennedy Brooks is a guy that, I mean, he's as solid as it comes by. Three 1,000-yard three, three seasons, three over 3,000 yards in three years in college football. Never lost a fumble, uh, just as healthy as he can be. Averaged over seven yards a carry through his collegiate career. Philadelphia got a steal in this guy, and this is the biggest – thing to me in the NFL draft. This is the biggest question mark. How in the world did Kennedy Brooks go from from 3,000 yards in three years, over seven yards of carry, never losing a fumble? How in the world did he go from that to being undrafted? Philadelphia is going to get a, a quality running back with deceptive speed, great ball security, and good vision. And they're getting him at, a, at an incredibly discounted price. Because a guy that's an undrafted free agent is going to have to earn his spot and is going to probably be close to the minimum in terms of salary. That's just unbelievable to me. Just unbelievable. 
But you love the fact that he's going to be where Jalen Hurts. And, and you, I mean, maybe we shift some of our attention. I know we were kind of split, you know, between the, the Eagles and the Browns. You all, you cheered for the for them uh, maybe on, on a 50-50 basis. I don't know. Do you split some of that off and, and you cheer for the Eagles a little bit more now that Kennedy Brooks is there? Jeremiah Hall has a chance. Tyrus Robinson has a chance. Again, Leron Stokes is the one guy that uh, – that I, I I worry for just a little bit, and then the guy that you feel bad for, it's got to be Gabe Burkich, right? I mean, he, here's a guy that was, uh, I mean, he he was in the process of really just kind of solidifying himself as a as a folk hero almost for this for this program at the University of Oklahoma. The mustache, the the personality, the big leg. You heard that Cleveland was going to go after him. Could it be that the Sooners will have four guys on the Cleveland Browns roster when it's all said and done with? But not only does he go undrafted, he's yet to sign an undrafted free agent contract deal. Now, some of that could be posturing and just kind of negotiating and so forth. But if if you're gonna go through here and you're gonna pick out guys, because I, you know, everybody thinks, well, if you're not a first, if you come out early, and you're not a first round pick, you made a mistake. And I don't, I don't buy that. I don't subscribe to that because I, I don't know what these guys need as far as their family situation. And even a guy like Kennedy Brooks, who didn't get drafted, it was time. Kennedy Brooks needed to go to the NFL. He he had done everything in college that he needed to do. Three 1,000-yard seasons. When we just are, we've gone over the resume twice in the last 10 minutes. Kennedy Brooks didn't make a mistake by entering in the NFL draft. NFL teams made a mistake by not drafting Kennedy Brooks. So when you look at this list of guys, and you're trying to find out where who made a mistake, who potentially made a mistake, I, I think it's got to be Gabe Burkich. Gabe, I mean, that's where you got to look at. Because you've got guys who went late rounds. Delarian Turner yell at Denver late. I mean, fifth round. Mike Wood, sixth round. Isaiah Thomas, Marquise Hayes, seventh round. But at least they got drafted. Kennedy Brooks didn't get drafted. Jeremiah Hall didn't get drafted. Tyrus Robinson didn't get drafted. Laurent Stokes didn't get drafted. But they all signed contracts. And you just kind of left wondering about Gabe Burkich. Did he make a mistake? Kickers don't usually get drafted anyway. I mean, you've got to be spectacular. Sebastian Janikowski, spectacular. Yeah, I probably just aged myself there. But you got to be spectacular. I thought he was pretty good. But I think I'm more surprised that here we are Sunday evening and he's yet to sign a undrafted free agent contract. Probably more surprised by that than I am by the fact that he didn't get drafted. Well, we've had a little over a week now to digest Oklahoma's spring football performance. And, I mean, look, everything was impressive across the board, starting with the crowd to have over 70,000, 75,000, excuse me, people in attendance for a spring game. It's unheard of, but, I mean, Oklahoma is, is synonymous with a strong fan base. That's why they're... Always a favorite for bowl season when they don't make the playoffs. You know they're they're one of the most highly coveted programs for the other bowl games because 
fans will travel. I mean, look at the look at the Alamo Bowl for a great example of that back in December. Yeah, I get it that they were playing Oregon and, and the Pacific Northwest is a lot further away from San Antonio than Norman, Oklahoma is. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter who the Sooners are playing in that game. Oklahoma's crowd is going to travel and they're going to be there to support the Sooners. But still, 75,000 strong for a spring game. I've, I've never uh, in my life that I can remember have seen a spring game where the upper decks of the stadium had to be used. Now, I'm not referring to the upper, upper, upper decks where you get to kind of high-five the helicopter pilots on the flyovers before the game. I'm just talking about that second level up. Uh, to me, in my lifetime, uh, all the spring games I've ever attended, it's that that lower bowl, you know, and it's it's on a good day, it's half full. But this was just ridiculous with the crowd and uh, kudos to you, Sooner Nation. And, you know, really, it needs to be that way next year as well, because if you're going to say, you know, I saw on Twitter, uh, you know, people saying on social media, you know, well, Baker Mayfield had a lot to do with that. And granted, he did. But I think Brent Venables had more to do with it than Baker Mayfield did. I, and I don't want to take anything away from from Baker and his weekend that was because it was a spectacular celebration of him and his accomplishments at the University of Oklahoma. But really, the, the beginning of the Brent Venables era is is what this was all about. It was There was a lot of... Um, off-season healing that took place amongst Sooner Nation, if you will, going through the the very first moments of the of the the panic phase when the rumors began to spread that Lincoln Riley was leaving, and then that became factual, and then you just saw one guy after another go out the door, and then you're like, "Holy crap, where is this program heading to?" And Bob Stoops comes in, saves the day, wins the Alamo Bowl, stand, um, literally passes the hat or the visor, if you will, over to Brent Venables. You see the resurrection of the 2022 recruiting class. And this was this was really Sooner Nation's first opportunity to celebrate all of that, to come back together and say, you know what, we're still here. Uh, we're, we're still here. We still love this program. We still love this team. And and so why why you never want to take away from a guy like Baker Mayfield and his accomplishments. You absolutely have to really say this was more about Brent Venables and, and the starting over of this football program than it was about anything else. But if you're going the Baker Mayfield route, keep in mind next year, Kyler Murray's coming to town. Okay. Next year, uh, next spring, a year from now, we should be celebrating uh, the addition of Kyler Murray's statue into Heisman Park. Remember, because of COVID 2020, everything's pushed a year back. But next year should be a celebration of, of Kyler, Kyler Murray. And, um, you know, why not go for 80, right? Why not go for 80,000 and, um, and crush that record that they set just eight days ago? All that being said, there are some general thoughts that came out of the spring game that I feel like I've got five. I don't know why I thought five was was a good number, but I, I feel like there are some things that we didn't know going in that we know now. And, you know, for example, um, well, there are things that we did know, right? We, we knew Dylan Gabriel was the quarterback of this team. We didn't know how far of a gap there was between Dylan Gabriel and the next man down. That's that's and that's a good place to start. I mean, that's a great example, and that's that's where we'll just jump on here with our the things we learned at the spring game. 
we learned that the backup quarterback position is very suspect right now. I had talked about going into this game, Micah Bowens, and whether he was really, um, you know, if he was a player in this backup quarterback battle. And, and I mean, absolutely he is. He, he had the long touchdown pass, uh, 95 yards to Jaden Gibson. But the reality is, there. I mean, who raise your hand if you're comfortable with any of these backup quarterbacks. I mean, it's a podcast, so clearly I don't see any hands going up. But I, I doubt if you're listening to this in your office, in your car, in your home, where you're working out, whatever you're doing, I doubt you raise your hand up. Because you had Ralph Rucker, Nick Evers, Micah Bowens. You, you gotta, you gotta throw a hat tip out there to Ben Harris, two of twenty, uh, two of four for twenty yards. But the reality is, the the guys that we thought, we thought this was Ralph Rucker's position to lose. You know, he completed six. He had sixty-two yards uh, completions. His longest play of the day was nineteen yards. But I mean, in in the transition from. Dylan Gabriel to Ralph Rucker, I mean, you, you, it looked a lot slower, a lot more indecisive. The three sacks for Ralph Rucker. Nick Evers absolutely looked like a true freshman. I, I think, I think the potential is high. I think, I think of all the guys on campus right now, he probably has the highest ceiling of anybody we saw play in that game. And that includes Dylan Gabriel. And I, and I'm, if you listen to me, I'm very high on Dylan Gabriel, by the way. I think it's it's uh, appropriate to to say this that I had been saying since day one that Dylan Gabriel is going to remind a lot of Oklahoma fans of Baker Mayfield. Maybe not in the in the uh, chip on the shoulder attitude, but really in just the way he plays. Now he's a left-handed quarterback, so clearly he's got that going for him. But um, I, I think that you saw that, and I, I think it was like I said, it was appropriate that on the day they're celebrating Baker Mayfield. There could be like Baker Mayfield 2.0 right there on the on the on the on the field. But if Dylan Gabriel misses time, is it Micah Bowens? He completed one pass, and it was a 95-yard touchdown pass to Jaden Gibson, and really Gibson did most of the work on that play. But he completed one pass. Nick Evers only attempted one pass, and it was incomplete. Ralph Rucker, look, I, I don't, I don't know, guys. I mean, I really, I don't know who I'm comfortable with. Which begs the question: Should Oklahoma look into the transfer portal? Should the Sooners go to the transfer portal and find a backup quarterback? Be because it's first of all, it's a tough sell. Be, because you you have to find a guy who is willing to come and be a backup quarterback. Because they've they've been from day one. They, they, this is Dylan Gabriel's team. It's not a secret. There's no one out there who's thinking they're going to come to Norman and compete with Dylan Gabriel for the starting job. But there may be some guys out there who come to Norman thinking, you know, if, if something happens to Dylan Gabriel, I, I I'd be a good fit there. And maybe you got to sell it to a guy who's a sophomore or a junior who has a couple of years left, thinking that maybe Dylan Gabriel only will play one season at OU and then you'll have a chance. But the reality of the situation is the biggest takeaway for me, the biggest thing I learned on Saturday is that this team's in trouble offensively if Dylan Gabriel has to miss time. Because there, there wasn't a guy out there. You, I, I still love the athleticism that Micah Bowens presents. 
I didn't love the accuracy that Micah Bowens brought out there. One of three. I mean, sure, it limited, but didn't love it. So you tell me where you stand on that because I'm thinking you got to go to the portal. Okay, so the second thing we learned, second thing we learned from the spring football game is that the running back position may be more interesting than what we initially thought, right? Because we initially thought this is going to be Marcus Major and Eric Gray. Now, we didn't see Marcus Major uh, on, on the field last Saturday, but we saw Eric Gray, four carries, 54 yards. Th- impressive performance. But can we talk about Javante Barnes, the true freshman? Can we talk about Taywee Walker? I, Taywee Walker is, is way more than what I expected him to be. I was really curious about Javante Barnes, and, and, and I'm, I'm curious about Gavin Salchuk and, and how he is going to fit in there. You know, Javante had the, the entire spring. Salchuk's going to have the summer. So I, was really, I, I really wanted to see Javante Barnes, and he didn't disappoint. 17 carries, 60 yards on, you know, on the red team, and it, it, it was impressive throughout. But I didn't know what to expect from Tavy Walker. And, and the reason why is he everybody compared him to Ramondre Stevenson. Really, and I thought a lot of that was based on his relationship with Ramondre Stevenson. Because physically, he's not the same as Ramondre. He's really not. But he he's connected with Ramondre. Ramondre told him, he, look, man, if you get this opportunity, you need to pursue it. And he did. And... And I, I was taken back, honestly, I was taken back by how productive he was. 13 carries, 55 yards. He scored a rushing touchdown. He and Todd Hudson, I believe, no, Todd Hudson didn't score. Uh, Javante Barnes scored, my bad. He and Javante Barnes, the only running backs to score touchdowns on the day. But Walker averaged four yards per carry. Barnes, 3.5. So when you're talking about new guys coming into this rotation, before the spring game, I thought it was going to be, like I said, I thought it was going to be Eric Gray. I thought it was going to be Marcus Major. And then somewhere in there, you're going to find another guy to be a third wheel at some point, change of pace type guy. But Tammy Walker may actually be an actual productive part of this offense. Not not a change of pace guy, but a, a a guy that goes out there for normal reps, normal snaps. I, I think Oklahoma found something in him. They threw the they I mean they they threw to him twice. He caught both of them for thirty one yards, but I mean it was nine yards after catch. Not spectacular, but still. I I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying. I love what I saw from the running backs. This is deeper than what I thought it was going to be. And suddenly I'm very interested in the running back position battle going into the summer. Way more interested than I was in the spring. I, I I will be paying more close attention to that throughout the summer months, particularly as you get into August and camp opens up. That'll be something I keep my eye on way more than I did in the spring. By the way, can we, can we talk about, Throwing the ball to the running backs. I thought I thought it was I mean, of course Braden Willis doesn't really I don't think in this offense he's gonna he's gonna 
count as a running back, H-back like he did. I think he's going to be more of a straight tight end type guy. But Todd Hudson, Javante Barnes, Tawi Walker, they all got passes thrown to him. So that's good. I mean, I, I think we're going to see a lot more ball distribution with this offense, really taking advantage of all of the weapons that are in the arsenal. And you have to be excited about that if you're an Oklahoma fan. All right, so we're, we're going to jump sides over to the defensive side of the ball. Two, two quick things we learned about the offense. Uh, backup quarterback is very suspect. Uh, the running back position is going to be interesting going into fall camp and into the season. Uh, I mean, you could throw a freebie out there. I think this offensive line is 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 incredibly deep. I, I, you know, you got, I think I said before the spring game, you got five guys competing for three spots. I think it's deeper than that now. And uh, Bill Beatonbow has his work cut out for him trying to find the right five guys. But I think this defense, this offensive line is probably going to go into a re- rotation that's beyond five guys. I, I think you, you may see seven uh, guys, maybe eight even, but probably seven guys play substantial amount of time along the offensive line. And again, something to just to keep a, keep an eye on um, heading into the fall camp, but that's not something we kind of knew that going in. So uh, I don't know that's something we actually learned on last Saturday for the spring game. But if you go to the defensive side of the ball, Jeffrey Johnson is the real deal. Uh, Tulane transfer Jeffrey Johnson. This dude is going to eat people up. And and you saw him do that a little bit in this game. And that that's why I said, you know, I, I mentioned the offensive line there uh, right at the front of that, because I, I don't think I, I don't think this offensive line is is a I, I don't think it's full of slouches I guess is what I'm saying uh, I think there are some there's some guys on this offensive line that are going to make a lot of money uh, in the NFL but Jeffrey Johnson kind of had his moments where he owned the show so to speak uh, where he ate up offensive line he got in the backfield he had the one sack he ended up with four tackles on the day, but I had really been touting other guys along this defensive line. I mean, I've been uh, talking about Jordan Kelly. I've been talking about Isaiah Coe. Obviously, you know, you talk about Jalen Redmond and, and, you, and when you get a guy that comes in as a transfer, you're not really for sure how he fits. You're not really for sure where he goes in that, in that, that rotation and how he's fitting, how he's adjusting. Jeffrey Johnson is adjusting quite nicely. I can tell you that. I still think Isaiah Coe is going to be a guy on the middle of this defensive line that's just going to obliterate people and have himself a heck of a season. But you you can't not come away having seen Jeffrey Johnson and think, man, they're deep. I mean, they're they're really they're really deep. And and I don't. I, I mean, Johnson may line up next to Coe. They they may back each other up. I, I don't know how it's going to work out along that defensive line. But I will tell you this, that Jeffrey Johnson, we absolutely 100% learned of the, all the transfers that came in on the defensive side of the ball. To me, he was the most impressive. You got guys battling for, for cornerback positions. You got guys coming in all across the board here. But Jeffrey Johnson's that guy that really stood out made the impact, and you think this guy is going to be a monster uh, this fall as well. 
if you were if you're an opponent uh, in the Big 12 and you're thinking, well, maybe we'll get a break because you know the middle of this 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 defensive line they lost Perry on Winfrey and then on the edge you you lost Nick Benito. You know what? Think again because not only do you have Isaiah Coe, still I haven't changed my expectations for him, but now you got Jeffrey Johnson. And then the fourth thing that we learned uh, on Saturday in the spring game is that Marcus Stripling may actually be the best defensive player on this team in terms of making an impact week by week. Marcus Stripling. You saw flashes of it in in the Alamo Bowl, just the the ability to come off to to get there and to make plays to to either use his body to come through through the offensive line or to use his his speed to come around the offensive line. The kid had four tackles for loss. That included two sacks. He ended up having five total tackles. Think about this: of his five total tackles, four of them were for loss. So Marcus Stripling, if if you're thinking like a lot of Oklahoma fans were, like a lot of opponents were, you know, Nick Benito is gone. You kind of get a chance to catch your breath a little bit. You really think again, because I think Marcus Stripling is going to be a star on coming and and we're just kind of making plays and and wreaking some havoc havoc in that backfield. Uh, and so you're going to have your like usual cast of characters, like uh like for example. Danny Stutzman, Ethan Downs, those are guys that you expected to make a step forward from their freshman year to their second year. David Aguebu finally finding a spot uh, in the in the linebacker position. Deshaun White, th- these are guys you're you're thinking, okay, these guys are coming back, they're improving, they're they're veterans, or you know, for example, you know, we, we just talked about Stutzman Downs going from year one to year two. Don't don't sleep on Marcus Stripling. Just don't do it. Because I think the guy may end up being the most, you know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Big 12 defensive players at the end of the season. And, and if, if you're, how many all-conference players does Oklahoma have on this defense? I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you just right now. I'd be willing to lay some money down that Marcus Stripling is one of those guys. I think there's more guys out there. I think Danny Stutzman has a shot. I think David Aguebu has a shot. Marcus Stripling's a guy I would put I would put money. I would put I would put money on the line that he'll be an off defensive guy at the end of the season. And I, I gotta throw a you know a shout out to T D Roof. He looked he looked fairly solid. I don't know that he's an every down player for Oklahoma, but when you first see the transfer, you know, his dad's coming to Oklahoma, so he's coming to Oklahoma. And that's just kind of what you think, right? That's what I thought. He looked decent. So last thing I last thing I want to throw out here, the things that we learned uh, from the spring game is that gang tackling and wrapping up is back at Oklahoma. One of the biggest frustrations as a fan watching this team get in position to make a play behind, at, or near the line of scrimmage, and it gets blown up because one guy hits, doesn't wrap. Another guy watches waiting on the big hit. Sure, big hits have their place. Think think back about the, the Iowa State game and, and Perry and Winfrey lighting up Brock Purdy and just kind of how, you know, that, that fired up Matt Campbell, that fired up the crowd, of course, for different reasons, obviously. But, I mean, just, the big hits have their place. 
but every tackle can't be a big hit. Every tackle really can't even be the potential for a big hit. I would rather as a fan, and I'm willing to bet this coaching staff, based on what we saw eight days ago, this coaching staff would rather have technique, form, tackling, where everybody gets to the ball, everybody wraps up, everybody takes it down in a pile. I think they would rather have that than a, a, a terrific hit any day. And yeah, it was just one spring game. It was a little bit a step above of a glorified scrimmage. But you 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 got to be happy with what you saw. You got to be happy with what you saw in in the effort to make tackles in this game. So now you got to take what you've learned and you got to move on to that. You got to get stronger in the summer, you got to get faster in the summer, you got to become more knowledgeable about the Xs and Os and the execution of your playbook during the summer. And there's going to be some good battles when fall camp opens up. I'm curious to know, is there going to be a a new quarterback on this roster when fall camp opens up? I'm curious to know how many running backs are going to get get time in in Jeff Levy's offense. And and fall camp is going to kind of give us some sort of inclination on that. We didn't even talk about receivers and how deep this receiving core continues to look. I mean, so, so much so that Cody Jackson's like, okay, I'm out. Cody Jackson was targeted five times in this game, caught three of the five, 21 yards. And he's like, yeah, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and find someplace else to play. Why? Because Marvin Mims, Brian Darby, Theo Weiss, Todd Hudson, we talked about the, the running backs getting, getting the ball. Trevon West, you talked about Jaden Gibson. Holy cow, Jaden Gibson, nine targets. True freshman, nine targets. I didn't mention Jill Farouk. I didn't, I didn't mention Braden Willis. I think Farouk had five targets. I don't, I don't think there's anything to worry with this receiving core. Can everybody else stay healthy? Can everybody else take another step forward with their physicality? Can everybody else get a grasp of this playbook? There's going to be some fun, fun battles once fall camp opens up. Offensively, you got to look at the running backs. You got to look at the offensive line. Defensively, I think you're still looking at that defensive line. I think linebackers are solid. And I, I really feel like the secondary is still a who's who out there, right? I mean, I, I, if, you, if you can tell me the starting, the starting defensive backs for day one against UTEP, I, I mean, kudos to you because I didn't learn that in the spring game. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. You can find us uh, online, heartland-sports.com. We do our best to bring some thoughts and insight and coverage there as well. Always feel free to drop a comment. Look us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Have a great week, everybody. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>